1: Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Liday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Kevin Phipps. How are you doing?
0: Doing great. Uh, down to the Huskies. It's always a good way to start an evening.
1: Uh, yeah, we're uh, recording a little late because we are waiting for the uh, basketball game to finish up. Uh 2 and 0 against the the Huskies in basketball this season. Jackson Selstat so continues. Uh you know, uh, West Lynn 6, Seattle 0. Um <laughs> So, uh You covered uh, the you've been covering track and field uh, as they've started their indoor campaign this winter. Um, They did very well uh, up in Seattle. Uh, The domination continues. Um, And uh, they headed out to uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, to uh, for the Razorback Invitational, uh, Arkansas is a hell of a track and field program. Um, and Oregon continued to uh, uh knock down records.
0: That is true. I, I think the big star of the day was uh, Jada Ross, um, winning the shot put with the best mark in the NCAA and the number two mark in the world this year. Uh, 61 feet nine and three quarter inches or yeah. 18.84 meters for those of you who insist on using metric
1: uh yeah hell of a throw uh i and, and um and and just cold as ice when she was throwing it too you know like oh, yeah. she, she looked effortless when she was doing it like they, you know you, your your article is wonderful for you know, a listener if you haven't uh, read Kevin's article, you should, because uh, he really did a a tremendous job and and has, you know, it's just replete with beautiful, uh, clips of, of some of the most exciting, uh, you know, events and, um, and, and, and yeah, like definitely, you know, one of the highlights is, uh, is Jada Ross's, you know, record setting throw, um, uh, yeah, she's been fantastic. She transferred in from Arizona State uh, a little while ago and has just been an absolute stud um, uh, for the program. Um, let's see. Uh, next up, Anthony Trucks, um, yes. uh, the the hurdler, um, did, uh, uh, incredible top ten perf- performance.
0: Yeah, and plus, I mean, he's got a great name. I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> he needs to go play running back And just start trucking people um, Yes, 7-8 Well, seven, I, there's eight, eight, eight.
1: already a football player Shot putter uh, connection in, in one of the 2024 recruits As you already, you know Braden Platt Yeah, exactly, Braden Platt As you already noted in the 2024 uh, uh, Recruit review uh, So, yeah, the all sorts of football connections Yep yeah. um, uh,
0: Cla- Our next one was uh, Claudia Kazimerska Kazimerska I could picture that mm-hmm. Um, third place and fifth overall in 800 meters. There was some, uh, some non collegiate professional runners running. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had uh, a pretty nice uh, f- set of finishes. Uh, Ceylan Ildes, Mia Barnett and Dia- and Dalia Frias. Um, uh, I cannot pronounce this name. Ildes uh, mm-hmm. was second overall. And uh, the only person that finished ahead of her was a professional runner. So,
1: great job in the mile. That's um, in the mile, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. Two,
0: four, and five was our finishers. Yeah
1: right uh and then in the men's 800 uh, uh james harding um broke the national indoor record um f- or new zealand's he's a, a new zealand national who tends the university of oregon um mm-hmm. and he broke new zealand's national uh a record uh running a one forty eight ninety seven um in the 800 which is uh, i mean that's a bonkers time <laughs> like that's it's it's close on to like 20 seconds faster than i ever ran like oh my god it's ridiculous um
0: that's like 20 seconds faster than my 400
1: (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) and then oregon did really well in the distance events too
0: yeah they were they were just kind of finishing all over the place we had uh i think it was four top three finishes we had six in the top 10 Mm. um you know just breaking records left and right. I mean um <clears throat> oh, got another shout out for uh for the fo- for the football team. Roderick Pleasant was 13th in the 60 meters.
1: Yeah. Uh the the defensive back uh, uh a true true freshman. Well, he I guess he it is he is still a true freshman. He will uh in the coming 2024 season will be a a true sophomore Mm uh uh yeah um uh 60 meter um that that guy's one of the the fastest human beings alive and uh a lot of times you know track guys when they start getting in football shape because it's sort of a it's a different kind of running you know like a, a lot more focused on sort of lateral speed change of speed ability as opposed to like straight line speed like they lose a little something and like oh boy he doesn't look like he's lost anything at all like you know he looks incredible um uh, Ryan Porter and triple jump, uh, uh, you know, she, uh, she was real, you know, blast to watch, uh, the, there's a video clip of her, uh, you know, doing the warm ups and, and she's, <laughs> she's having a lot of fun. Um, but she did, you know, 13 meters, um, and, and uh, which is like, you know, pr- pretty incredible. Um, which I think is, uh, the, the number four best performance ever by a duck
0: yep and and she's a newcomer so she's a you know fresh face on the team so excited to see how how things develop for her moving forward uh also the 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 distance relay the, the the distance medley yeah
1: um they didn't have the distance medley when i was when i was running it's it's a somewhat new thing so it's um rather than having everybody run the same you know the the same distance right so like the the traditional you know like four by 100 or whatever uh the distance medley relay is it's a 1200 leg then a 400 leg then an 800 leg then a 1600 leg and the 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 1600 leg to end is the killer like uh so that's that's what Matty elmer runs at the end and Mm -hmm. uh and and she, I mean like Claudia Kazmierska like is is in many ways the the stud like she you know sets the the pace with the the 1200 to start um and, and then Clayton's the sprinter right who takes out the 400 and then the 800s just a monster which nelson does um but elmore is the one who really like you know to, because like oregon was a little behind and elmore wound up catching it you know to 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 wind up setting the school record um and uh uh the um uh uh and 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 so like the the number number eight relay pro you know record and program history like yeah r- really tremendous performance
0: yeah it was um no it was actually a school record in the dmr it was the number eight was the our four by four team was oh yeah number eight in program history but you know it's funny when i ran track in high school we didn't do the it wasn't the oh this was
1: the number one oregon performance in the the distance medley
0: i believe so yes
1: oh cool yeah what was the four by 400 then
0: that was the number eight. The,
1: yeah. Who who ran the four by four?
0: Grebo, Clayton, Wright, and Hall.
1: Oh, Hall. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, se- it's funny. It was seventh, um seventh place finish, and it was the number eight relay program in program history. Yeah. No, the DMR school record is an actual school record. And I was saying um, the, the, re- the relay when I was in high school was uh, a four, a two, and an eight hmm and then i think it was two 100s or something like that to finish it off and i ran that eight and it was one of the first times i ever run an 800 because my track coach was a sadist and we didn't mm. have enough people
1: yeah well i think anybody's making anybody run the 800s yeah
0: that's true shout out you know coach cantrell and coach vogel thurston high school
1: uh alim mccormick uh took third place in 600 meter or excuse me 60 meter hurdles um jaden Mays took that fifth. Girl is
0: fat. sorry that is fast yeah. yeah uh, uh
1: jaden Mays took fifth in the uh, 60 meter sprint um uh, uh uh which was like just a dead heat man like w- what was it in your article it was like uh
0: two through six were all within 0.03 seconds of
1: each other yeah i know which is like an eyelash it's just yeah yeah um
0: they're longer falsies.
1: Yeah, uh, your article uh contains the full results for the decks, which is like uh, too, too much for us to list on the podcast. It's, uh, um, but you know, it's got the full results. Uh, uh, Oregon did very well. Like I wanted to shout out, uh, simply cause I, I like it the 3000 meters for the men like Oregon had four different, you know, top 14, uh, finishers, um, uh, that, you know, 3000, a tough race to run. Um, and, uh, uh, and, um, it, it, and also uh, uh the men in, in the the, Paul, the in the pole vault uh had a top 10 finisher here is Harrison canfield um uh got ninth place um
0: and Jack Norman in the triple jump
1: seventh place oh yeah oh, uh, uh yeah yeah another nice performance there um what's next up for the ducks on the track?
0: uh next up they are heading out. Oh, uh, let me see. Where are we going? Don Kirby Invitational in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, that's actually tomorrow and Sunday. Yeah.
1: Yeah, tomorrow
0: and Sunday. Oh, Saturday. they're
1: splitting up the team. That, that's right. Yeah, they're splitting the team. Like part of the team is going to to, uh, to Albuquerque, and part of the team is going to Boston. Um, yes. And, and, and they're uh, running on uh, the track
0: that will actually be the national finals later this
1: year. Yeah, yeah, the indoor, the, the indoor NCAA championships. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. been a minute. O- Oregon has won the indoor championships pretty, you know, relatively recently. But like, I don't know, you know, they're they're definitely going to be in contention again this year. You know, they started out pretty hot, and uh, and the team seems very complete. You know, like it's it's you know, there isn't a single you know like. There isn't, you know, th- there are a couple events that they don't do in the indoors because it's indoors. So, for example, like the javelin throw isn't javelin. part of the indoors <laughs> events for like obvious reasons, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so you don't get the t- the the total range of indoor, uh, you know, events. Um, but you know, with that caveat being said, like uh, it, it, this is a very complete team you know, this mm-hmm. year, like, you know, t- just top to bottom, like Oregon is very consistently, you know, finishing, you know, with solid performances across the board, which is how you score points in, uh, in, in track and field, you know, like having one person come in first and then everybody else, you know, doesn't qualify is not how you do it. It's like, you want everybody coming in like top 10 finishing everywhere, you know, across the board, that's how you do it. And like, that's, that's what we've been seeing in their last two meets. Um, so hopefully they keep that up and, uh, and and we continue to see some good results. All right, uh, anything else? Uh,
0: just there's only another month left in the season. You know, yeah, it's a pretty short season. We got um, Don Kirby Invitational and then the last chance at your Dub, and uh, yeah. then it's on to nationals.
1: All right, let's take a break. Uh, we come back, we'll talk some hockey. Uh, so the uh, ice hockey team headed down to the desert. Uh they took on the University of Arizona and uh then a doubleheader again against Grand Canyon, which is interesting because I think they played a doubleheader against Grand Canyon earlier in the season, too.
0: They did, and uh uh yeah, we should stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah, uh apparently the the duck should not fly south in the winter
1: um Uh, yeah (laughs) no this was i mean this is pretty like yikes trip down to the desert i think the ducks scored a goal in um, three games yes in three games yeah (laughs) it was it was pretty yeah the uh yeah it was not good
0: um i mean
1: well, I mean, the Wildcats jumped believe. out to an early, it was, you know, a 3 0 lead at the end of the first period. Um, it, you know, and it was just like, you just, uh, that was enough to win it because the Oregon couldn't get their, you know, couldn't get anything, you know, in the net. Like, uh, that, and I mean, just, you know, looking at the ice times, just like they they were playing the entire. I mean, they were playing the entire game with the puck on their side of the ice, you know, yeah. like that. You know, it was just sort of relentless. Um, and uh, I, know, I ended up getting shut out. Um, and by a team that plays in the desert, like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God.
0: yeah, I, 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 I was really amused at that. It's like, I could, I could see if we went to like Michigan or Wisconsin and just got beat up on it. Hockey. Mm-hmm. You know, those people play hockey in the spring, uh, you know, before the pawn thaws. So no, it, it was rough. Uh, final score of seven and Oh, just yeah. not, not a great showing and then well, it sort
1: of got desperate there in the end you know like it really it was sort of like they they went down 3-0 by the end of the first period they, they were sort of like sort of facing this onslaught but like really it was more they just couldn't get the puck across the center line mm-hmm. and like yeah they ultimately lose 7-0 but like don't really blame the defense for it it was more like they just couldn't command the puck you know yeah. like i was really more of a failure to the offense than anything else and and, and like the inability to play defense with their offense mm-hmm. um which i don't think you know, from having from having watched it a little bit, like I don't think describes the losses to Grand Canyon. like those were a lot more like defensive battles,
0: yes, um the the first game was Grand Canyon. it was actually scoreless first period. Um, yeah and and actually, both games ended up being that way, you know, de- really good defense on both sides, um you know, first game, and then second period, you know. Grand Canyon finds the net twice. Okay. Going into the third period, you know, Oregon's again is a defensive battle. So it was just kind of a back and forth, but just could not find any offense and, you know, ended up going down to a second shutout for um, zero.
1: Yeah. I mean, really was just like they, they could not penetrate Grand Canyon's defense. It was mm-hmm. Like, um, it, Yeah, like, uh, you know, the score sort of looks similar, but like the character of the game was different, you know, it was, you know, they they were playing the game, you know, a little more evenly. Like it was a lot more of the game was played on Grand Canyon's ice. It was just like they couldn't get through. It wasn't so much the goalie, although I do think the Grand Canyon has a pretty decent goalie. It's it's more that they just like the this the, the short defense, like, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, they just couldn't get past the two three. And uh, I mean, that was it, you know, you know what
0: it reminded me of actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this would be a very obscure reference for people younger than us. Um, if you saw the second Mighty Ducks movie when they were doing the pick up the trash around the goal. Mm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Like everyone played defense everyone on Grand Canyon's team plays defense
1: uh but they did finally get a, a puck in the goal it's sort of like the very end of, yeah you know to avoid getting completely swept in the desert so it's uh, sort of a dignity goal anyway they return back to Oregon uh they take on the uh the Rogue Valley Royals uh which oh, is in in medford uh uh the uh the medford of oregon
0: that was actually last weekend um oh yeah they've played again since then we we have not gotten a recap up on that i don't know if you if you want to know we absolutely beat the pants off of oh well (laughs) hooray we (laughs) we got our revenge
1: um (laughs) on somebody (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah uh, i think the final scores were like five one and five two if i remember correctly oh, those are washington
1: um. scores <laughs> so
0: yeah um no when, next when did we come are to uh i don't think we play in eugene do we play in eugene nope we're not gonna be back in eugene this season oh man we're, we're in San Diego tomorrow and, and Saturday. Um, right. Taking on SDSU and then Las Vegas and then Boulder to take on the CU Buffs.
1: Wow. No more home trips. Yeah. All right. In well, time. we'll get a recap of those up, I think, next week. Um, yeah. uh, but I wanted to, you know, since you wrote those up, I figured we would talk about them, even though they're <laughs> kind of painful, the the desert trip. Uh. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll, we will talk about, uh, Dylan Gabriel, the football transfer. Well, I I am, uh, Starting down the pipeline, I uh, I took a couple of weeks to uh, re- start reviewing film on uh, all these transfers that Oregon has been getting to the football team. Uh, I, I've there's they've taken eleven so far. Two of them I'm not going to be able to write about. One because he's a kicker, and the other because he's a Division two transfer, and just good luck getting Division two film. Um. Uh but with the amount of lead time I've sort of, you know, uh, built up a uh, you know, a, a head of steam, and I'm in the pipeline now, and I'm gonna be publishing an article once a week, every week for nine weeks, unless they take some more transfers, in which case <laughs> I guess I'll write more weeks. Um, but the first one's Dylan Gabriel, who's uh almost certainly gonna be Oregon's starting quarterback uh in 2024. Um uh, you know, so I, I reviewed all of his tape uh, at Oklahoma in 2023. Um, he's I mean, he's been playing football for a long time. Um, he actually if he starts 12 games at Oregon, um, he's got a pretty good shot to do. He will wind up breaking Bo Nix's record for the most starts in college football history because he's started 50 5-0 games so far. And Bo Nix, you know, finished his career with sixty one. Um, so he's played a lot of football. <laughs> um, yeah, and he's played some pretty decent football. I, I
0: was reading through, yeah, the, through your article, and you know, uh, one of the big things I I keyed on is you were talking about the the drop off. You know, yeah, when you have someone like Bo Nix graduate, you even when you bring in a transfer, like okay, you are gonna. You're gonna have some regression that I, you're you intone that that
1: regression might not be as severe as people think. I I'm not. I, I okay. Look, I, I can't I, I can't pinpoint where exactly his performance is gonna be because number one, there's no guarantees of anything. Like I mean, he could. First game, he could trip walking out onto the field, break his leg, and you never see him. You know, like, I, you know, there's no guarantees. I, you know, I can't pinpoint anything. And, and also, number two, a quarterback's performance is not entirely in his control. I mean, hell, it's not even mostly in his control, which is. You know, actually, that's a larger point the, that's relevant to both Gabriel and Bo Nix is sort of a useful comparison point, and and really sort of transfers in general, um, but but quarterbacks in particular as transfers, which is that like, you know, quarterbacks' performance are sort of it's a it's about them, but it's also about the supporting pieces, the scheme, and it's why like you know, is it, I. As I do projects like these and and also as I look around and and do my previews of of other programs, you know, and I I maintain roster databases and I evaluate film of all sorts of different players and I, you know, run them through statistical regression and I notice patterns and I test those patterns using, you know, methodologically uh, appropriate means it becomes clear that like different position groups, when they go through transfers, like they have different, uh, different position groups have different success rates through the portal. Um, so, the the. The, the lowest success rate through the portal are basically your trenches the offensive line really you know strongly you do not don't mess around with transfer portal offensive linemen it just doesn't work um or to the extent that you can make it work like don't really start more than one of them and even that one guy it's going to take him a little bit of time um uh, and, and and if you're and, and if it's more than one just forget it um and if that guy played poorly at his previous school you ain't gonna fix him um so yeah um and, and then there's sort of i don't know kind of basically everybody else um who like all all well defensive linemen and to some extent linebackers sort of kind of depending on which linebacker um is uh, like another position where it's like it's really sort of about your body and your your gelling with your teammates and uh, it's a it's less severe than offensive line but it's still sort of noticeable like if you 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 really sort of want to be a homegrown defensive lineman. Um, It's not as bad as offensive line, but it's still noticeable. And then sort of it, it, almost every other position on the field, it's sort of, it doesn't matter whether you transfer or not. There's not the negative effect that there is with the trenches. It's just, Mm -hmm. you play your, you play your talent level, you know? So if you were good at your, a previous school, then you'll be good at your new school. If you were bad at your old school, you'll be bad at your new school. If you were mediocre at your old school, you'll be mediocre at your new school. And the reason is like scheme and teammates and like preparation and all that stuff, it kind of doesn't matter. Cause you know what, being a running back in this scheme being versus being a running back in that scheme or being a cornerback in this scheme versus a cornerback in that scheme, like, or like how well you gel with your teammates as a safety, like, uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, you, you just play to the level of your talent now it can still be worthwhile for you to transfer because like you know maybe you know your previous school isn't really using your talents to the best of you know like maybe that coaching staff sucks you know or maybe you just want a change of scenery or maybe they've got too many guys at your position and the new school that you're transferring to doesn't have enough guys at your position. And so it's like, you know, it's like uh, uh, a paving over potholes, you know, like, you know, you you wanna go from where there's a mound of asphalt uh, and and there's a hole where there's not enough asphalt and you just sort of push the mound into the hole and hey, that's smooth, good. So yeah, that and and then on the other you know far end of the spectrum is quarterbacks, where the data, like this is kind of tongue in cheek. The the data almost indicates that it's better for you to transfer than for you to stick around. Now the reason the reason that I say that it's tongue in cheek is because. If you transfer and you don't work out, you just stay on the bench, right? Because unlike every other position, if you're good, you win the job and we don't see anybody else at the quarterback position. But if you're like a linebacker and you transfer, we're still probably going to see you because because you rotate, right? Um, so so the only the only film I ever get on quarterbacks are the quarterbacks who win the job and so like by definition right you know <laughs> the, the the only court the only transfer quarterbacks that I ever see are quarterbacks transfer quarterbacks who are good enough to win the job and so therefore like of course you know all the data indicates that transfer quarterbacks play better you know because because at their old school maybe they weren't playing or they were just a backup or they got you know minimal to no play you know uh playing time whereas at the new school if i'm seeing them that means they won the job and so like of course so like obviously that's a data skew um so that's why i say it's sort of tongue-in-cheek but like there appears to be no um uh, you know, unlike the like the opposite of the offensive line in which transferring appears to even like controlling for all other factors, transferring itself seems to make offensive linemen play bad quarterbacks. That effect does not appear to occur All like not even in the slightest and because quarterbacks are sensitive to things like scheme, like, you know, fit with the offense fit with the coaching staff and because they're dependent on the pieces around them for their production in a way that like other guys at other positions aren't they just sort of do their thing. And they produce the way that they're going to produce regardless. Quarterbacks, that's not true, right? Qu- quarterbacks they play better if they have good offensive line protection. They pass. They have better passing yards if their wide receivers are creating better separation. They, 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 they. they they produce better if the scheme is a fit for their skill set, um, and worse if they're forced into a scheme that's a bad fit for their skill set. So, like, if they if, if if they land at a new school in which they have better surrounding pieces and a better scheme fit, then quarterbacks really can take a big jump in their performance. Okay. So that's all sort of been theoretical. Everything I just said makes sense, Phipps? Absolutely. Okay. So. <laughs> so now comes the meaty statistical part. <laughs> so we obviously saw that with bone Nix, right? Like, uh, and in fact, there were lots of people. I I didn't go rubbing their noses in it too much, but I mean, some of them are good friends of mine and you know, I could dig out their tweets and, 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 and dunk all over them if I had a a mind to, but I, I don't who were like, Oh no, we know who Bo Nix is. You know, that dude sucks. He's never going to amount to anything. Look how badly he performed at Auburn. And I was like, look, man, I watched Auburn's film I think that Bonix is a pretty talented quarterback, and I think he was being held back by a poor scheme fit, by bad offensive line, by no wide receiver talent. And when I, I think when he gets to Oregon, where he's gonna have Kenny Dillingham, who I think is a good offensive coordinator, because look, I wrote two different articles about Kenny Dillingham as a coordinator, and and how he fits with Bonix's skill set and he's going to have way better wide receiver talent, and he's going to have way better offensive line so nice. you know, I think he's going to take off. And lo and behold, he did. Like, and immediately he did. He went from an NCAA passer rating in three years at Auburn that was in the 120s, which is like a full standard deviation below the FBS median. He jumped 40 points to the like 160s, uh, which is well above. You know FBS average um, in his first year at Oregon. You know in in 2022, and that was. And I don't really think that Bo Nix like got better, right? Like the idea that like Bo Nix like became a better quarterback that Oregon developed him in 2022. I don't really think that is so much true. I mean, maybe a little, but I think that the vast, vast, vast majority, if not all, of that 40-point bump uh, was, was the fit, was those three things that I just said, scheme fit, wide receivers, offensive line. But then he stuck around for 2023. Now Oregon didn't dramatically improve its scheme or its wide receivers or its offensive line in 2023. Would you agree with that, Kevin?
0: Uh yeah, I mean, I'd make some arguments about I mean, maybe some areas little. that improve. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: sure. Well, you know, they they added Tez Johnson who's 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 a good, you know, certainly a good piece. Um you know, you can make arguments about Will Stein versus Kenny Dillingham, I suppose. They did have to replace, you know, some offensive line guys. Um You know, I, I think I think you'd be hard-pressed to argue that Oregon dramatically improved its offensive line between 2022 and 2023, wouldn't you? Like, they sent, like, three dudes to the NFL, you know, like... Uh,
0: uh, you know, yes, yeah, so. I, I will agree. I will agree that I you cannot say that they dramatically improved, but I, I do want to give them credit that we did not see the expected drop off by. Oh, sure. So much, so sure.
1: Much I, I think the offensive line was still very, very good for Oregon in 2023. And that certainly like it's not like Bonigs was scrambling for his life. In fact, he scrambled less in 2023 like his sack scramble throwaway rate which was already very low in 2022 actually went down even more in 2023 but you know i don't really think i i think that had to do with other things i don't really think that's because the offensive line was like dramatically better anyway and yet bo nix's passer rating improved by another 20 points in 2023 and that unlike the 2022 jump the the auburn to oregon jump mm-hmm. for bo Nicks, that which i think was simply from removing the shackles right he was like harrison bergeron throwing off the shackles of lousy scheme l- lousy offensive line lousy wide receivers he suddenly isn't burdened with those things anymore and the you got to see the real bone nicks and the real bone nicks was like a 165 or so passer but then in 2023 i think that that like improvement that that 20 point improvement didn't come from further throwing off more shackles because like what shackles you know instead i think what happened in 2023 was like actually that the, the improvement of bo nicks i actually think that was the year that he that he bo Nix improved and developed and and got better um you know his and you could see it like you could see it in his raw stats you could see it in the advanced stats the, you know i could see it on a tally sheet i could see it just objectively watching film where it's like his 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 accuracy you know his completion percentage ticks up by about 6 percentage points his you know air yards per attempt ticks up his his, his touchdowns go way up um but his tu- his interceptions don't go up um so it's like yeah man like he just gets better so all of this has been to set up Dylan Gabriel dylan gabriel starts playing football uh at the same time he was a 2019 recruit um he uh was recruited to ucf uh he's the starter for all 13 games at ucf uh in 2019 as a true freshman uh just like bo nix was um at auburn um he then uh, is the starter for all ten games in 2020 at UCF uh, during the COVID season, but none of those games count, right? Because the COVID eligibility holiday. Then in 2021, unlike Bo Nix, who played all of 2021, Dylan Gabriel plays three games uh, at UCF, all three like to the final whistle. But then at the literally the last play against Louisville in Game Three in 2021. They're doing this, like, crazy play. Uh, uh, it's, you know, the, one of these, you know, Music City Bowl, you know, drills. And he hurts his shoulder. And uh, he winds up, I believe, having to have surgery on his shoulder. Actually, I, for, I I can't remember if he has to have surgery or not. But, like, I watched the play. He winds up, like, landing on his left shoulder, which is his throwing shoulder. He's a southpaw. And he winds up missing the rest of the season. And so he gets to redshirt that season so that means that both 2020 and 2021 don't count so it's like the end of 2021 and he's only played one year of football that counts even though you know he's played like 26 games right mm-hmm. so then uh, uh um uh, 2021 was the season that Gus Malzahn arrived? Josh Heupel had been the the coach the first two years. He left for Tennessee at the end of 2020. Malzahn took over in 2021, which is funny because that's a Bo Nix connection, right? Um, uh, Gabriel leaves at the end of uh, 2021. Um, he goes to Oklahoma. You know, at the same time that that Brent Venables arrives um, or, uh, uh, at Oklahoma uh, in 2022. 2022 uh, is a sort of a weird year for Oklahoma. Um, I actually thought the offense was more or less fine. The The real issue for Oklahoma was, uh, well, I mean, part of it was just like the, the offense was taking a little bit to install, uh, you know, first year, you know, first year is never great. Either. it's always tough but really the big problem was the defense like to the extent that i was watching oklahoma in 2022 just their defense sucked like they could they you know they were inheriting alex grinch players was basically the issue like guys who didn't know how to play defense at all and brent venables is a defensive guy and he was trying to get them to play for real football and they couldn't do it like it was really like when i was watching the texas tech film because right because oregon opened up their season playing Texas Tech and so I was watching Texas Tech play Oklahoma and like that was was, that was the last game of the season and so like I had watched all of Texas Tech's film right like their previous 11 games and so like I knew all of Texas Tech's tricks right like I was totally up on Texas Tech and so then I'm like, oh, Brent Venables, you know, like if I knew all of Texas Tech's tricks, then Brent Venables must be licking his chops, you know, n- knowing, you know, he, like he's definitely a better defensive mind than I am. Uh you know, and, and so I was totally expecting to see Oklahoma in the, you know, final game of the year, just like you know smash texas tech for having known all these tricks that they had put on film and they proceed to just get run off the field like it was like watching just total clown show on defense from oklahoma so like and having a bad defense kind of like affects your offense right because like they're constantly putting you in bad field position and that sort of stuff yeah So anyway, that's, so that sort of like holds back Dylan Gabriel in 2022, 2023 is really their, their big breakout. Like they, they really performed, you know, super well, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Dylan Gabriel at UCF for the three years he's at UCF, his passer rating is like one fifties which is pretty much just FBS average or, or like a little better than FBS average. So like he's better at UCF than Bo Nix was at Auburn. I mean, he's not a super stud or anything. Um, like he, uh, like he, he was like leading FBS in total number of passing yards, but that's because he was playing for Josh Heupel, who like just wants to throw the ball all day. Right. Like go look at his teams at Tennessee like they just like, I mean, they're not running the air raid exactly, but like, it's just, I mean, all they do is throw the ball, uh, but like, uh, I mean,
0: 3,500 yards a season. It's nothing to sneeze oh, at. Uh,
1: yeah. It, I mean, yes, but like, if you actually look at the efficiency numbers, it's just, it's a volume passing offense is what I'm trying to say, you know, mm-hmm. like if for the. Uh, You know, they they get that because they're just passing all the damn time. And if you actually like if you look at 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 Gabriel's passer rating, which is the denominator in the passer rating is your number of pass attempts. So, like, if you're just throwing all the damn time and you have a lot of incompletions or short passes you know, and, and so forth, like it, it it dings you for it. You know, it's just like I don't care if you're a volume passer. I'm looking for that that's what your passer rating is like cares about is like efficiency and distance and touchdowns and not throwing interceptions. But anyway, um so like he's he's above average but just that, you know? And so the interesting thing is when he goes to Oklahoma that first year in 2022. Unlike Bo Nix, when he gets to Oregon in 2022, when Bo Nix jumps up 40 points because he throws off the shackles, right? Mm -hmm. Dylan Gabriel continues to be a 150 passer. So again, still better than what Nix was at Auburn, but not the big jump, right? And not even the jump to like 170, which was what Nick's was at Oregon. Right? Nick, Nick's at Oregon was 170, uh, or so like actually 165, um uh in 2022. Um, so he's just still sort of kind of muddling along as this like volume passer, like good for you, I guess, you know, guy at Oklahoma. Meaning, like, he doesn't really have shackles to throw off, but he also, like, didn't really take a step forward in terms of his own personal growth either. Um, But the year that that happens is 2023. In 2023, that's when he has his breakthrough. Just like Bo Nix did in 2023, where it's clearly, like, a personal breakthrough. That's why I spent, I know I've been talking for a long time about this, but it's like the parallels are really eerie where both Knicks and Gabriel both have breakthroughs in the same year, 2023, when they come back to the same school that starts with the letter O, uh, in which they both jump 20 points in their NCAA passer rating by improving their accuracy by about six percentage points improving their uh air yards per attempt by about you know one yard but going from about nine to ten uh you know improving their touchdowns uh thrown for uh but their interceptions stay very low um so like organic growth just personal organic growth and that's without like the surrounding pieces around them, like changing it all. Like it's all them taking a step forward personally. So he improves, you know, he, he makes that personal step. Okay. So that's Dylan Gabriel's, you know, story. And the other thing that's relevant to know is that about having like studied the film at Oklahoma is that unlike, you know, the film that I studied at Auburn where, you know, Bo Nix was at prior to his transfer to Oregon. Like I wasn't seeing like garbage wide receivers, although they did kind of have a bit of a drops problem. Like they were dropping the ball about twice as often as I was expecting to see, which is like, okay, that's interesting. Um, And I also wasn't seeing a garbage scheme. Jeff Lebby ran a pretty decent scheme. Like, I had a couple of gripes with a couple of things. But you know what? I also had a couple of gripes with some of the things that Will Stein was doing. So, you know, I don't want to portray it as like, oh, well, that you know... Uh, uh, there's going to be some dramatic improvement, you know, because Will Stein runs an immaculate offense, whereas Jeff Levy, you know, was running a sub immaculate offense. Like, I don't know, man. Like I, I'm, I, I'd be hard pressed to say that, like, I, I think they left some stuff on the table, but I'd be hard pressed to say that Will Stein wasn't leaving some stuff on the table. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I think we
0: there were some opportunities we certainly missed yeah and i don't know if it was chasing stats or play calling tendencies but you know i've been calling for it for a couple years now to bring back the hitch and go Mm -hmm. that's always wide open yeah you know. well
1: i mean it was really funny because one of the things in my article that i was sort of making fun of levy for even though it was sort of outside the scope of the article was that i think he got his running back selection wrong um like i kept wanting to talk about it but then i was like this doesn't have anything to do with gabriel stop belaboring this uh and then i was like oh you know what game will stein you know cost oregon (laughs) for getting his running back selection wrong you know (laughs) anyway so um so uh, the, the, you know, those two legs of the tripod of that, that Bo Nix had, you know, when he transferred from Auburn to Oregon and he got that 40 point jump of superior mm-hmm. scheme, superior wide receivers. Um, it, uh, like I don't really think those are going to be there. Although, yeah, may, maybe fewer drops. Uh, you know, that, that'd be nice. Although, honestly, uh, it, you know, his, his wide receivers at Oklahoma were were pretty damn good. Like I, there's, there are some quibbles. Those are in my article. You can read it, um, uh, you know, about, you know, some of the, the wide receiver selection as well. Um, you know, I I think he, Levy could have managed that situation a little bit better. So maybe Oregon squeezes out a, like maybe a point or two more of efficiency. Oh, I, I guess I should say that, uh, the, there is actually a statistical pretty big difference between the way that Oregon's offense looked and the way that Oklahoma's offense looked, which is Oregon was good at everything. All the metrics that I track Oregon was good. You greens across the board. They were good at efficiency, passing, explosive, passing, efficiency, running, explosive running. They were good at yet, uh, you know, yards per carry yards per pass attempt. All the metrics that I track greens across the board with Oklahoma they really only had greens in one of those six categories which was explosive passing uh the rest of the categories were like yellows or reds um like their entire rushing category was was bad like they were underwater in rushing efficiency they were mediocre to bad in their yards per carry average they like almost never got chunk rushing yardage, which I know I was evaluating the quarterback. And so like rushing was sort of outside of the scope of the project. But like, obviously there are ways in which the run game interacts with the passing game, you know, right? Like having a good run game makes your passing game easier, you know? So mm-hmm. like just sort of, you know, it's worth keeping in mind that that Gabriel was operating with a, a bit of a handicap in that sense that like the, the The, you know, the run game was not super efficient. And as I noted in my article, um, they were unlike Oregon, they were much more frequently operating in second and long third and long situations than Oregon was, um, which means you know, defenses knew they were passing, um, and also, uh, defenses blitzed them much more often than, um. Uh, than is typical uh in my experience for for you know for an offense that that was uh that, that wound up ranking eighth in F plus, like they should not have been getting blitzed that often. Like that's that was way outside the norm. And it was for that reason. It was not a particularly efficient offense. Oh. And their passing efficiency was only about 55%, which is above average, but that's all it was is above average. It wasn't championship level. It was actually very for for an offense that ranked number eight in F plus, their their numbers from charting do not really support it at all. The only reason that they were that high at all was explosive passing. And of course, you know who's responsible for the explosive passing. Well, that would be the quarterback. That'd be the quarterback. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I found it interesting that, you know, people were talking, You you see on like the message boards, like no one had heard of Dylan Gabriel from Oregon. They're like, and then they go. And I don't know what they're looking at, but they're like, well, if he was any good, why, blah, blah, blah. Why isn't he going pro all these different things, but Oregon, you know, in total in points per game, Oregon is second. Oklahoma is fourth total offense per game. Oregon is second. Oklahoma is third, but where it gets like the big difference is you look at on defense point scoring defense. Oregon is ninth. Oklahoma is 49th. Yeah. Yeah. Dylan Gabriel was in games a lot
1: later than Bo Nix ever was. This is true. Uh, This is definitely true. I mean, like, that's sort of the thing about you. I've been trying to paint a picture here, uh, you know, and and you sort of like jump to the the punchline. Wow, that mixed metaphors. But like, dude, Dylan Gabriel was that football team. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, they, they had good wide receivers, too. And, and I, I think that Jeff Libby ran a good scheme. And I actually think that, that Venables is not a half bad footballer. I think that guy's going to work out. I know that people are sort of making fun of him for his first year, but like, well, I'm going to say that for, for a couple of weeks down the road, when I'm talking about Evan Stewart, I sort of have an anecdote to tell, um, about why I liked Brent Venables, but I'll, I'll tell that one later. Um, but like Dylan Gabriel was like, Yeah. In fact, somebody on a on on, I think it was Reddit like like asked me, you know, how how is like how do you know that Dylan Gabriel was essential to the team? Or like, can you provide a comparison? And I was just like, and and my response was this team was was not Michigan. You know, Michigan was a team where if you swapped out JJ McCarthy, their quarterback, for like you know the faceless replacement value quarterback you know fbs median quarterback they probably have basically the same results because that team wasn't about their quarterback doing amazing things their quarterback was their their that team was about the entire team right yeah you, you know michigan was the about the entire just team. Did to be
0: a game manager
1: yeah exactly kind Con- you know, we've definitely seen teams like that before. um, And, and Michigan was just a team like that. And so, like, J.J. McCarthy. Super Bowls being a game manager. So. Yeah. And and, G., and so, like, you know, you, you could swap out J.J. McCarthy for, you know, you, you didn't, you know, need him to be the hero of the team, right? That wasn't true of Oklahoma. Like, not even a little bit. If you swapped out Dylan Gabriel for the faceless replacement value FBS median level quarterback, they don't win 10 games. No way, man. That offense is not efficient enough. The run game sucks. The defense wasn't good enough. I mean, the defense improved compared to 2022, but it still wasn't good enough. Because um, it had Alex just stink all over it. Um I suddenly have Bonnie
0: Tyler playing in the back of my head. <laughs> right. Holding out for a arrow.
1: <laughs> I know <what> <laughs> too. Uh anyway, so so like yeah, man. Um you know, he 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 totally was you know essential, you know, to their to to their performance and their explosive passing was i mean not just championship caliber which i define as like 20% of pass attempts going uh 15 plus yards it was it was well beyond that it was 23.4% which is you know into elite territory um you know uh, th- they were averaging 9.5 uh you know uh, adjusted yards per pass attempt which is that you know that's an elite number um, and, and, uh, uh, and the other thing, you know, I said that two of the three legs of that tripod uh, of, you know, uh, of, of oh boy mixing metaphors again of shackles that <laughs> that uh bo Nicks threw off when he transferred from auburn to oregon of bad scheme mm-hmm. bad wide receivers bad offensive line two of those don't obtain to uh to to t- gabriel uh transferring from oklahoma to oregon because i think the scheme will be you know more or less equivalently good. And I think the wide receivers will be more or less equivalently good, or maybe a little better at Oregon. Eh, We'll see. Uh, But you know what? The third leg of the tripod. Oh yeah. Yeah. but like Oregon's offensive line is way better than Oklahoma's. Like it was actually pretty appalling to see how bad Oklahoma's offensive line. I mean, it was it was definitely the reason why their run their 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 rushing efficiency was so terrible. Um, and and their 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 pass blocking was just now Gabriel overcame a lot of it. Like there's a whole clip compilation my article in which he's not really bothered by blitzing um and uh, you know he scrambles pretty well um there's a whole you know documentation section about that um but uh it, it, like you know number 1 uh um 18.4% of uh, Oklahoma's dropbacks ended in a sack scramble or throwaway that's a very high number like it, it was that's you know like uh no colorado's more like double that like i mean it's it's far from the worst number that i've ever seen it's just it's shocking for a blue blood like blue blood should not have those numbers like um uh yeah so at oregon it was under 13 percent. so like that's definitely like i am expecting gabriel to face way less pressure um the the You know, when I broke down the failed passing plays, which like, you know, Oklahoma had way more failed or a way higher percentage of failed passing plays than Oregon did. They were only about 55% or 54% efficient. Whereas Oregon was like, I forget the number, like 62% uh, efficient. Right. So like, you know, where does that extra 7%, you know, uh, you know, fall off come from? Well, basically the way that I broke it down was, you know, a, a couple points come from this wide receiver drops issue but almost all of the rest um comes from bad offensive line Mm -hmm. now a bad offensive line is going to negatively affect any quarterback um and I think for reasons that I sort of talk about in the article, I think that Gabriel may be a little more sensitive than even most quarterbacks to bad offensive line protection. I mean, that those, the, the, the numbers are extracted in my article. You can read it. I'm, I'm thrown too many uh, numbers out already in this podcast, but like, yes, his efficiency, you know, is a, it's like a 22 point drop. Um, You know, between his success rate when when there's not a pocket breakdown versus his success rate when there is a pocket breakdown, Um, you know, for as decent as he is at salvaging yardage from plays in which there's a pocket breakdown, it's still like the success rate. Is it like total collapse, Um, uh, you know, and so therefore, if he could just get behind a line that isn't breaking down all the damn time, you know, yeah. You know, there's the, you know, that's the reason to believe that, you know, there's that there's probably another jump in him. It's probably not going to be the the 40 point jump that nicks took when, when he, he went move. from, for, you know, because those two other legs of the tripod aren't there. Mm-hmm. But I, I would expect like, you know. I would expect another jump. So when you started out saying like, oh, I, I you know, I'm, I, I was worried about a regression between Knicks and Gabriel, but maybe you won't be so bad. I'm like, I'm not expecting a regression. I am, if anything, expecting some improvement because Gabriel, Gabriel in 2023 was a 72, but was a 172 NCAA passer. With a terrible line and no running game. With a terrible line in front of him. So like, and here are the pluses that he has versus Knicks. He's much more willing to throw it deep. Like much more willing. Like his, his rate of deep pass attempts was 23.25%. With Knicks last year, it was six and a half percentage points lower than that. His rate of I- intermediate pass attempts was 46.13%. Uh, That's four and a half points greater than when Knicks was. Um, screen passes were about the same. He, the, all of those come at the expense of short passes. Like, he, dude, dude's not really interested in throwing it short. Um, he wants to push that ball, you know, I- intermediate and deep. Like, intermediate and deep passes make up, uh, um, uh, uh, close to 70 pretty, like almost exactly 70 percent of his passing attempts. Um, like he really wants to push that ball down the field. Um, and he's pretty successful at it, and he doesn't throw interceptions. Um, yeah, like so. I, I-
0: we've gotten in and he was doing over. that
1: with a bad offensive line like really bad like bill bill Beaton. but like oklahoma has had the same offensive line coach for a long time and they really like he's well respected they really like the guy like it's real i mean i won't believe it on this podcast but like the dude has now taken four straight bad pac 12 offensive line transfers and i just spent like what, what did I intro this podcast segment with like a long rant about how you shouldn't take any offensive line transfers and you definitely shouldn't take bad offensive line transfers. <laughs> and he's taken four. Like he took, t- t- he took two as part of the 2020, excuse me, 2021 group that I studied as part of the Alamo bowl pro- prep. And I was like, <laughs> well, no this dude makes that mistake again. Those guys were terrible. They were terrible at their Pac-12 schools. They were bad at Oklahoma. He'll definitely learn his lesson. And then I turn on the 2023 tape and I'm like, Bill, what the hell are you doing? You took two more of them. And I mean, it was clown shoes stuff, man. Like, you know, turn on the tape, even on, on, on plays in which I was not attempting to highlight the fact that, Gabriel was getting no protection like I was trying to talk about other stuff it's still like oh by the way notice how he's getting no protection he's just about to get blown up because it's like I couldn't find plays in which he's not about to get blown up like it was like good luck finding plays in which there were clean pox it was just never happening like it was just i mean it was i was embarrassing like i i i was just like total clown shoe stuff like i just you like hang your head in shame i don't understand how those people could continue to put on a uniform and go out and play it was so bad like i don't understand how bill beaten didn't just like retire on the spot it was so humiliatingly awful like how bad the pass protection was i was just like this is like embarrassing uh And so, yes, I am like one that. Somebody on Twitter asked me, like, how big was the difference? And what I calculated out was that, like, the best offensive lineman in terms of grades on my tally sheet, the best offensive lineman for Oklahoma was still multiple percentage points worse than the worst offensive lineman for Oregon, who was Iapani Lalaulu, who was a true freshman. Oregon's true freshman who rotated in and played like backup center still graded out better than the... Than the chuckle farts that 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 biedenbaugh was was training up like i don't understand what that dude is doing and that was those are the guys who were protecting gabriel like quote unquote protecting uh yeah so yes i'm fully expecting and like i said there's a big fall off in his performance when the pocket breaks down and so conversely there is every reason to believe that he will have a that he will have a better line in front of him and therefore b that he will have a even better performance at or again as a result so, so there there it is all right so i i
0: we're we're getting into the weeds. I want to I want to pull you to task, not on metrics, but just on gut instinct. I'm going to ask you two questions. First mm-hmm. one is what is what is your knock against Dylan Gabriel watching him play? Not statistic wise, but what what do you think is the one area that he's struggled that he needs to step up his game? Um,
1: he yeah. it's not so much that he's cavalier. But like his instinct when he is in trouble is to throw the ball deep and trust his receivers. Now, he never really paid a price for it. Um, I and just like when we talk about basketball, or I guess I've never talked about basketball with you, Phipps, so maybe you wouldn't know this. But like <laughs> I I'm avoid I'm I'm all about drive to the iron you know because of the meta of it like you know put your opponent in foul trouble um you're you're either going to get a bucket or you're going to get fouled and you're still going to get buckets because you're going to make your free throws and you've affected your opponent's roster rotation like uh, and so in a similar way if you're about to take a hit you should throw the ball because hey, you might get an RPS flag, you might get a DPI flag, you might get a completion, you might get, uh, worst case, you get an incompletion, but that's still better than taking a sack, you know, if you eat it. Um, you know, the worst case scenario is you take a pick, like, oh, boohoo. You know, the, all the different good things that can happen outweigh the one bad thing that can happen. And so go ahead. But the one bad thing that can happen is pretty bad and it's just he never paid a price for it but there's a part of me that wonders like maybe that's because he was just playing like really bad defenses cuz it was the Big 12 and uh so i do sort of wonder now that he's going to be playing nominally superior Big 10 defenses like maybe that instinct gets him in trouble
0: okay and uh why do you think he's going to thrive at oregon
1: well, I I just spent 20 minutes talking about that. Like yeah. I I, I I think that all of the reasons that he was a very successful 172 passer rating quarterback who was by far the best part of his team at Oklahoma like a 23% explosive passer rating, 23.4%, you know, excuse me, a 23.4% per, uh, per play explosive pass rate. Uh, quarterback with 9.5 adjusted YPA, uh, all of the assets that he had at Oklahoma are replicated at Oregon. Like there's nothing there's, no, he's not going to miss anything at Oregon, but he is going to gain something, something very significant and relevant to his performance that the stats bore out clearly, which is superior offensive line protection. Um yeah, all right,
0: I'm looking forward to some of the deep dives on some of the other transfers we have coming in.
1: Oh, oh, and uh the uh, the other thing is you, the, I fully expect Oregon's run game to be more efficient and and, and therefore, uh, you know, it's a little more roundabout, but, a good run game sort of takes some of the pressure off of the passing game, allows you to be a little more balanced. You know, well, I don't need to explain this, everybody understands what I mean, right? You know, like if you know, a good a good run game allows you to be more deceptive. It, it'll it puts you in good positions for your passing game.
0: there's Uh, i I really don't if you want all of that in visual form with commentary you should definitely check out his write-up
1: uh yeah it was i mean it was fun to write uh like i um i there there's tons of great video clips you know it was definitely pleasurable to write it was actually you know for i mean honestly like you know, Bo Nix was obviously fun to write about because he was a super accurate, super smart quarterback who understood the system. You know, and just like his story was a super fun story. uh, you know, but I spend much of the year talking about like I, w- uh, you know, I would like to see a couple percentage points more deep passing. You know, and then I I turn on the Gil- the Gabriel tape, and it's like man, I got so much deep passing in this. I got to like, I got to choose, you know, like I left deep passes off of, you know, on the cutting room floor, you know, and editing. Um, you know, there's a lot of just really pretty, you know, passes. Um, uh, uh, You know, it's quite nice. He, he's, he, his, you know, what's actually really kind of funny about it is that like, I think that Bo Nix actually has a bigger arm, like in terms of just like pure arm strength like dylan gabriel's passes tend to be slightly underthrown um uh uh and so i mean that's sort of the other knock that i have on the guy is that like there's there's a bunch of in fact there's an entire clip compilation my article about it where it's like this pass was still completed and it was awesome that it was a deep shot and all, but it's like, it was just a 50 yard pass. <laughs> like, ha ha ha. Uh, but like it, if he, if he pushes it just five yards further downfield, it's a touchdown because then the receiver doesn't have to come back to it. And the defensive back doesn't have an opportunity to just like tackle him as soon as the ball is caught that instead he just sort of runs, he catches it in stride and runs into the end zone. um, and so, like, his, you know, he, you know, now that doesn't wind up limiting him in any way. Like, he still completes all these big passes. It just means that, like, unlike it, it just means that they don't have any like one play and it's over touchdowns. Um, like they, it's like. They they complete the pass, but then they've got to like run like three more plays to get the touchdown, which is sort of like well stuff could go wrong in those three more plays, which is not as big of a criticism as it it sounds. It's like well if you're a decent offense, you should be able to do those. So it's like that's not really a big deal. But it's like mm. anyway, the funny thing though is that Knicks would definitely be able to hit those passes in stride, so it would just be a touchdown. Right. Like he had the arm strength to do it. It's just he wasn't doing it. And sort of like, I wish I could put. I wish I could put Bo Nix's arm onto Dylan's Gabriel's brain or vice versa. You know, like I wish I sort of had like, you know, Gabriel's moxie and Nix's arm would would be like the perfect quarterback together. You know,
0: I don't think they let you do that
1: yeah you can't voltron humans together yet (laughs) but
0: as soon as they do there'll be some ncaa uh regulation you know saying but yeah for
1: for anybody who's out there who's like oh man Nick's has such a tremendous 2023 and and gabriel's like Oh, he's, he's a little shorter. He's a little worse. Like, you know, this, you know, but maybe it's a manageable step back. I'm like, I'm here to tell you, like, I am not, I mean, it could happen. It's, you know, it's always going to be a range of possibilities. Um, And like I said, he could trip and break his leg on the first snap, you know, for all I know, but like, I am not expecting. Uh, You know, I'm not expecting a step back. I I am expecting, if anything, a step forward like he was already playing at basically a Bo Nix level with the handicap of having a bad offensive line at Oklahoma. So what he should be able to do with a good offensive line at Oregon Is should be superior to what Knicks did in 2023. I mean, this is basic logic. Like, I mean, it it, it remains to be seen if it will actually play out that way. I can't make those guarantees, but like, that's what my expectation is. I'm excited to see it.
0: Hmm. So, you know, someone on Reddit pointed out he's left handed, so we got to switch our tackles. (laughs)
1: that's not going to happen (laughs) it's also i hope that everybody remembers this I, i kevin you and i will probably not be talking about it but i hope everybody remembers this discussion when it comes to next week when we talk about the the next transfer that i discuss because um there are many similarities between that guy and dylan gabriel but there are also some very key differences very key differences um, that are pretty exciting for the future. But that's for next week. Uh, it was good talking to you, Kevin. I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, you got any parting words of wisdom for us?
0: Uh, the only good husky is the ones that pull sleds in the Iditarod. Other than that, they should all go down.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's it's <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Other well it's been a, a very strong 2024 uh, against uh the huskies 2023 uh, less so but 2024 has been pretty good against them uh uh and uh, uh you know as they say the grass is damn green in eugene uh, do you know why it's so green because it rains all the time uh, of course it never rains on this podcast